När jag reser är Sverige den plats jag känner mig mest hemma och vi har många band till Sverige. Fy bolaget som förde oss till Europa var Bad Taste Records i Lund. Vår bokningsagent är från Malmö. Vår management är baserat i Stockholm och vi har turnerat med många svenska band under åren. Jag hade en kronika i Close Up Magazine i 13 år och vi är sponsrade av Salming Sports från Göteborg. Jag spelar Hagström gitarrer och Stockholm är den stad jag känner mig mest bekväm i utanför min hemstad Toronto. This close kinship with Sweden makes our relationship with its music scene closer than most foreign bands. I've always felt an automatic affinity with many Swedish musicians I've met, and I count a lot of Swedes as some of my closest friends. For a country of a little over 10 million, it exports a lopsided amount of music to the world. From Robin and ABBA, to Nana Cherry and Roxette, to Avicii and Swedish House Mafia, to Refused and Millen to Soundtrack of Our Lives and the Cardigans, to The Knife, Viagra Boys, and Licky Lee. There isn't another country outside of America and the UK that has permeated modern music as much as Sweden, including exceeding behind the scenes with Max Martin behind the recording console and Jonas Ockerlund behind the movie camera. Sweden is the Mecca. But when it comes to metal and hard rock, there is a special perch for their exalted scene. There are simply too many bands to name here without the list taking up the entire episode. So imagine trying to bottle it all up in a book. Well, that's exactly what Ika Johannesson and Jan Jefferson Klingberg have done with their outstanding tome, Blood, Fire, Death, The Swedish Metal Story. Before I read this book, I must admit, I was pessimistic. There are already so many books that detail extreme metal nowadays, so many books that have documented the Scandinavian side of things. But what I soon realized after reading one chapter, Johannesson and Klingberg don't tell the Swedish metal story like clinical remote researchers, like a lot of other music books. Instead, with their unique vantage point, steeped in clout, cred, and deep history within the scene, they were given access to go deep and shed light on some of the dark, mysterious figures that loom over the Swedish metal scene and the metal world in general. This book can be used both as a wonderful narrative as well as a credible reference source. Johannesson is a music journalist, both on the radio when she hosted P3 Pop and Music Guiden on Swedish radio, and when she hosted Kultur Nihetorna in front of the camera. She's written for Dagens Nyheter and Expressen, both daily Swedish newspapers. She has also had her own magazine, Sex, that was published from 2002 to 2007. And she co-founded Filter Magazine. Klangberg is both author and musician with his book Jag tror vi behöver prata faktiskt. He's the guitarist in the legendary Swedish band Docentena and in the hobo humpin' band Whale. Klingberg has cast a wide net within the hard rock and metal community in Sweden. Okay, full transparency here. 
it was easy to decide to have Ika and Jan on the podcast because Bloodfire Death is on Feral House Books, just like my book, I've Got Something to Say. But shame on me for initially doubting that this Feral House book would be anything but another great read. Feral House books never disappoint, and Bloodfire Death, just like the rest of the catalog, is riveting. In this episode, we discuss the process of making the book and exactly what it took to cover a colossal music scene such as Swedish metal, one of the most inspiring, influential, and extraordinary music scenes in the history of popular music. A special thank you to Kale Huevan at Sound Pollution in Gamlestan for the hookup, and of course, Christina Ward at Feral House. Thanks also to you for listening on either iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify, whichever way you're getting this podcast into your ears. I'm grateful. Okay, Ika Johannesson and Jan Jefferson Klingberg are this episode's guests on the podcast, and it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. They play the kids, take us, go out, tell them for free. I'm so glad I like your song, Joe. Jimmy, you're from Fuck Joe. Stop playing, hey, Joe, Joe. There's only one podcast to listen to in this world. And that's the Tango Joe's podcast. Don't be a dick. Listen to the Danko Jones Podcast! Thank you for listening to the Danko Jones Podcast. We hope you will enjoy the show. The Danko Jones Podcast. Sit back and let the evening go. Jones podcast. It's wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. You're such a lovely audience. We'd like to take you home with us. We'd like to take you home. We'd like to take you home. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts now. Hello. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Listen, it's great to talk to you guys. Um, as fellow Feral House uh, authors. Yeah. Yes. yes. It seems we're, we're all, so all, happy. Yeah. We're so happy to be published by Feral House, especially also being accepted to Feral House before Adam passed. It was very nice. I had the chance to meet him and stay at Feral, Feral Manor. What was it called? Feral Heights. At least his house up in uh, uh, in Washington. So yeah, we're very happy about that. Okay, you answered my next question because Adam Parfrey passed away, and your book came out maybe a year after his passing. Yeah. So I was curious um, to see if you had gotten the green light from Adam directly. We did. Um, it was kind of a long process with uh, translate translation and uh, just getting the book out. So, um, so Adam was the one uh, we were in touch with, and um, and also I got to meet him. I went up to his house in Washington and stayed the night, and got to visit his uh, the Feral House archives, 
and just be there for an evening and we stayed the night it was really really nice so um so all our work was done with him so like the entire artwork everything was done before he passed so it was a great shock to us um when he when we got the message now reading the book you this is a second printing in english for the first time this is the first uh, printing. Uh, this is the first time the books come out in English, but it came out in Sweden in 2011. Okay. So, yeah, so it came out later in the States due to many different circumstances beyond our control, due to like agent contracts we were stuck in here in Sweden. And um, yeah, so this is the first. Uh, so, we've updated uh, many of the, the, especially the chapters that really needed updating. Um, but also we've done, like, as you can see in the book, footnotes with updates. Right. Um, and this update in English was done with Adam? Yes. Now, it was also interesting it came out on Feral House because just upon first glance and seeing the cover and reading the synopsis, I got the feeling that this was... And there's many books that cover the genres of death metal and black metal in Scandinavia these days. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what Feral House's angle was on this because, of course, we all know they put out Lords of Chaos, the infamous Lords of Chaos book. From a, And, of course, it's a book that doesn't just cover Norwegian black metal, but those are the most infamous chapters in it. And mm-hmm. so I started to read Bloodfire Death And I thought, oh, is this going to be a retread? And I was more than blown away at how deep you guys go into what I realized was Swedish death metal and black metal that hasn't been covered. And you did it in a way for me or for the reader that would um, uh, hold their attention, uh, immediately draw them in and hold their attention via... Now, I could be wrong in how you look at it, but I, I found that you you stuck on um, uh, various personalities for each chapter um, mm. that would hold a reader. And, and it wasn't anything like Lords of Chaos. It, it, this book is, I think, I recommend it for every uh, person who considers themselves um, a death metal or black metal fan. And, you know, a lot of the... At least here in North America, it's like, okay, Norway's the home of black metal and Sweden's the home of death metal. And, you know, there's some bands that kind of cross over, but, you know, never the two shall meet. And, and your book really dispels that. And it, it's, yeah. it's just a, it's a great book that focuses on a lot of the characters in the Swedish metal scene. First of all, thank you so much for those kind words. You read it like exactly like we want people to read it. Yeah, that's really kind. Yeah, and I really appreciate that the thing you said about the different personalities and and the different genres because that's uh, it's been uh, I had big problems, you know, with the, the revisionist attitude. Uh, within the scene and within journalists that want to keep the different uh, branches of metal apart. They don't want to see how it all uh, links together, you know? 
and 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 that's been annoying uh, to me and i think that that, that is uh, one reason that this book w- was needed i mm. think also because the the circles were so small back in the 80s and uh, i mean in the early 90s they've start they started to grow with the commercial success of of especially the death metal bands in sweden but from the beginning you know as we as we portray in the book it were all basically if you liked extreme music you were a friend well, maybe not everyone. Between metal and punk, there was still a division, but not 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 always. So um, when we decided to, it was actually it's it's interesting that you mentioned Lords of Chaos because Lords of Chaos was of course a super influential book that both of us uh, bought as soon as it came out as well. Um, but our book is kind of the um, opposite of Lords of Chaos um, because we wanted to instead of just um, talking about the myths, the myths that we do love because we do love the genre and the myths are such a big part of the genre. Um, but we wanted to try to understand instead of just repeating, oh, Peleded, he, um, mm-hmm. he dug his clothes uh, into a pit in the woods to mm-hmm. uh, make them moldy. We, instead of just repeating those things, we wanted to understand, like, well, who was that person that had that kind of open mind, um, open artist mind at that young age. Who was that? And why did his visions become uh, the norm in a genre that has become such a wide world spanning thing? So that was our um, um, our outset from the beginning. And as you said, you, you were thinking like, well, ha- had they worked for a long time on this book? Like, yes, we did. It took seven years to uh, research and, and write the book. I noticed it because you uh, opened the uh, the chapter on Shining in 2005. Yeah. And, you know, I only yeah. got this book, you know, fairly recently, and I've only known about this book since, I believe, last year. So yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was that night, that very night, and that that little talk that we had with uh, Nicholas Quarford, mm-hmm. uh, the vocalist of Shining, that was actually the very, very first interview that we ever did for this book. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that was kind of the starting point. And, you know, with all the, the stuff that Ika is talking about now, all these questions we had, all the th- stuff we wanted to know more about uh, when it comes to the history of the scene, uh, we decided to make this book and, and to make, um, we, 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 we sort of uh, fell into this uh, task uh, in, an, in an era that I think was like, um, a very uh, uh, extreme era, a new uh, kind of extreme era for black metal that we that we uh, like uh, more or less coincidentally, you know, mm. got into. Uh, so that that's that was the very night that we, that that we realized uh, how uh, extreme uh, and misanthropic some of these uh, expressions and. Uh, Phenomenons were, mm. you know, people uh, cutting themselves on stage. You know, uh, that was also a big change from when I was a metalhead in the in the 80s. You know, metal used to be, you know, like this uh, self uh, self empowering, you know, mm-hmm. uh, genre. And 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 the whole thing with this uh, self uh, destruction thing, that was that was you know it wasn't like that where, when I got into metal, so that was like a big change. And what actually surprised me even more is like as an I I'm, I consider myself an old school 
metal fan and I, I came in fr- through the punk angle and stuff like that. But, but what, what really surprised me was that even when we met, I mean, I mean talk about how, how the different branches all, you know, they have they come from the same tree. And no matter how, how extreme musicians we, we met, mm-hmm. we actually f- found ourselves talking to people, you know, even, even the people that were into this depressive, uh, misanthropic stuff, you know, they all, they, they've been playing Scorpions covers in yeah. bars. You know? Yeah. I mean, old school White Snake, the blues rock version of White Snake, is their favorite band. I mean, <laughs> yeah. people don't people don't realize that no. because they, they want to keep they want to keep uh, extreme metal apart from mm. its its roots. Well, and I I think that is a bit sad actually because it's not the true story of metal. Yeah, I I agree. Like as someone who plays in a rock band and 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 hangs around metal circles quite a bit. Uh, when you when you run a, uh, run up against you know some of the younger metalheads even online or whatever, and you get yeah. derided by them, what they don't realize is their heroes backstage after the show are cranking ACDC. Yeah. And so yeah, it's it's sometimes frustrating to, especially in Scandinavia, I notice that you know the divisions are there, but. You, nobody can buck their history, which is, you know, like you said, filled with White Snake albums and, and Scorpions yeah. albums. Mm. So I, I, happy, uh, happy German metal, you know, accept and Scorpions, you know, yeah. the good stuff, the, the what I call the noble metal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned one thing that that had me worried um, because. Uh, like you say, there's been a lot of books out these past 10 years about Scandinavian uh, yeah. extreme metal. And that's also why I never actually dared to contact um, Feral House when uh, when we get out of our agent contract. Because they, you know, they're the home of Lords of Chaos. They're the home of um, Dial Patterson's uh, Black Metal, the big book on black metal. There's been other Swedish books out. Um, but what I think that Adam saw in our book um, was that it's more, um, it's written for, you, you say that it, that you could recommend any death metal fan to read it, but I would say that we've written it for basically people who are interested in popular culture or just interested in music uh, or in musical expression, because you don't really need to know anything about metal, or at least that, w- that was our goal when we wrote it, to have our mothers be able to read it and gain something from it, because... I mean, it became it's it's sold it's it's sold a lot in Sweden, and um, I think at least here it's become a way for people to understand what the draw is in aggressive music and in aggressive uh, culture as a whole. I agree. I think you don't need a, a background in metal, although it helps to put things in context. Yeah. Um, well, but what what will pull like the layman into your book um, is. Are, like I said before, the personalities and, for example, people like Dead and people like the the twins in Niflheim, you really mm-hmm. you were able to really get inside their worlds, and mm. these are people who are, well, apart from Dead being you know dead, uh, you were able to contact family members, you know, someone like you know metalhead in in Canada, like where I'm at, 
has no access to this. And, and it's mm. almost mythical, these people, especially dead. Um, and especially mm. John from uh, Dissection and, 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 and the dude from Nicholas from, from Shining. These are, these are people that, you know, are so reclusive and so far away and are only talked about in whispers over here. You really mm. got into there. and You really got inside their worlds. And how did you do that? I think there are several different explanations to that. Uh, I would say that one uh, is my gender, uh, that I'm a woman that's been in the scene for a really long time. Uh, I'm from Gothenburg and like all my teenage friends <coughs> were the band that became the Gothenburg death metal scene. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd met Don at parties at uh, Tompa Lindberg and at the gates when he was in grotesque. I'd met John Nerd from Dissection at parties, you know, when I was 15, 16. So um, just that sort, you know, in this this world, everything is about being true. Yeah. And so that that counted for a lot that I'd been um, active for a long time. Uh, the same with John, my yeah, co-writer here. I think maybe they, they'd like to talk to me as a kind of father figure, but I, I'm really. I used to have a metal show on uh, cable TV. Yeah, I used to host a metal show in, in the 90s. Yeah, so I think it's it's a combination uh, of of who we are, um, but also in the way um, that I think people understood really early on that we wanted to make a book uh, that that took stuff seriously. And uh, when we started working, it had been like. 15 20 years since the, the beginning with Bathory and uh, and like 10 12 years um, from the entire death metal explosion so I think people were ready to talk I think Lords of Chaos I mean um, the interview the interviews with Mayhem for example and the Norwegian scene it was so close to what had happened so I mean Metallion who uh, who's the editor of the infamous and legendary Slayer Mag. He, mm -hmm. uh, he told me when I visited him in Norway that, you know, it's, it's now that he can start to begin analyzing and kind of just understanding what happened in those days. Uh, it has to be a certain amount of time passing. So I think it was um, a combination of those two and also that we wanted to, I mean, we didn't really plan for the book to uh, take seven years. It was, you know, I had two kids, uh, you had stuff happening, had or you, a, you wrote another. I had a depression and I wrote another book. <laughs> yeah, so, so it took a lot of time, but that made, I mean, for example, in the chapter about dead, um, because it took so long, um, we had the time to first contact the family and then contact Mayhem and then have Mayhem say to us that hey i'd love to talk to the family if if they'd like to you know and then to have them meet and then to have the the members of morbid palace old band get together for the first time in ages and have them meet the family so yeah it was like organic really i mean that chapter that i mean we we divided the chapters among us so we were like made responsible for different chapters and that was one of my the chapters that i worked most uh, mostly on and I must say that it's one of the uh, texts that I'm most proud of in my entire journalistic career of almost 25 years, because that that um, <clears throat> that whole process brought so much to the people involved, gave them closure, and I mean, so so to me that's that's just a super valuable um, chapter to have written. 
Yeah, I think if if someone really understands the history of Mayhem and just the infamy around that band and the certain characters, for you guys to get that deep into Dead's family life, it is heavy. It's quite heavy. Um, and uh, I was um, I was riveted reading the book, reading that chapter. I was also. But then you say, you know, any any person can appreciate the book from the outside. But you do outside of Sweden. If I was to read the book, you do start the book with with Niflheim. And in yeah. Sweden, I mean, yeah. nobody says Niflheim without kind of chuckling at the yeah. same time. I genuinely like that band. I genuinely think they're great, um, mm-hmm. but I understand the humor that people derive out of them. And so for a layperson reading uh, Bloodfire Death, opening with Niflheim, obviously this was originally intended for an, a Swedish audience. Yeah. I, as a metalhead myself, a metal fan, knowing Niflheim, I mean, it was... A, a great statement <laughs> to start with that chat to start with them as the opening chapter. But for me, I mean, I'm a fan. So I, I want to know about these guys. So mm. I was, I was drawn in immediately, but it, it makes me think, well, you know, if some guy who just likes to read music books uh, mm. starts with that chapter, will they, will they be drawn in as much because they don't know the twins and they don't know how they look and what they say and how they are. Well, we decided to roll the dice on this one. And yeah. I'm really happy that you mentioned. I kind of wanted to ask you that because I think those, the brother, Niflheim brothers, uh, they have this uh, kind of uh, rural uh, rural charm, rural yeah. beauty yeah, about yeah, them. Yeah. The way they come yeah. across, the way they are, the way they talk, mm. that I'm not sure how it translates, you know, to, to English. It's an, there's an innocence to it and a purity that I love, that reminds me of when we were all young and idealistic. Yeah. I mean, the the reason that um, we had that chapter to begin with is because Niflheim, they tread like the very, very thin line that is um, what's one of the main draws for me to black metal. You know, the thin line between being perfectly serious and becoming farcical. Right. And they tread it so perfectly because as a band... They are, I think they're exquisite. I think they are one of the greatest black metal bands there is. Um, but then they have this other persona um, that's in Sweden. I mean, in Sweden, everyone knows they used to be, they're called the brothers, the heavy metal brothers in Sweden or the hard rock brothers because they were, uh, they were interviewed 20 years ago in a, uh, in a clip yeah. about their love for Iron Maiden. I don't know how how much people outside of Sweden know of that clip, but it's, um, it's like almost like a seven-minute clip where they managed to um, say so many one-liners that have become, you know, like folklore for our generation, especially our rock generation. And I mean, everyone knows who they are. It's not yeah. just metalheads. Everyone knows who they are. So is that... What's interesting with them is that they've managed to keep that, as you say, that pure love for heavy metal and that kind of youthful teenage, you know, seriousness, but still being humoristic. It's it's. I'm at a loss of words for describing Niflheim because I like them so much, but that's why we had it as the opening chapter, because we wanted to convey that pure love. 
um, that not many people our age, you know, plus 40s, can can uh, still have the same way they do. Yeah, I, I found it uh, a great. It's like the the. It's like when the trailer to the movie is almost as good as the movie. It was a great way to open uh, the yeah, book. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for, but, because I, I think I, I love Niflheim just because I love their the I, I, the idealism that they carry with them, like you say, into their 40s or 50s or how old those guys are. And the fact that they're twins just kind of makes it a little more, not absurd, but a little surreal. I, I'm a I'm a genuine fan of Niflheim. I, I yeah. really I really dig them. Um, yeah. So it was nice. There's other chapters where I you know I, like for me it's almost you know legend like not legend but I've just heard so much about these characters like Nicholas from Shining and yeah. um, uh, um, uh, Jan it? from uh, D- Dissection. Yeah, it from Abruptum. These are like, do they even exist almost? These are just two-dimensional images to me, you know, especially when it comes to it. And uh, yeah, it was it, it was interesting. I mean, a lot of the book um, talks about, I didn't know about the genre of self-harm after I read Shining a, a chapter, um, but a lot of it focuses obviously on Satan and Satanism and and. Uh, chaotic evil and you know misanthropy and destruction of the world but also the, I find it I find a lot of black metal I can't say that I'm a black metal connoisseur fan I'm more of a tourist I'm I'm I've got one toe in it I there's a lot of it that really turns me off and you guys focused on that in chapter as well when it came to um you know right wing bands and stuff like that so like you said, I, I never know when a black metal band is kayfabing, which means uh, it's a wrestling term meaning like faking it or mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for show business reasons or if they're genuine. And when, when they do seem that they're genuine, there's a lot of contradictions uh, within, within their ideology as well. So it was an interesting uh, to, to watch you guys, you know, kind of toe the line, you know, walk the fence and and just kind of push and poke when needed. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, a subject that we couldn't really um, just uh, ignore, because um, especially it's it's also I mean the last few years it's becoming even more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's I mean stuff keeps happening that makes uh, Swedish bands not be able to play in the States, for example, um, because of uh, alleged right-wing um, um, liaisons. But also, I, I think it's <clears throat> what, what interests me um, is when black metal becomes commercial and becomes media friendly, which has happened with the ad, uh, with the, uh, with Batain. Because um, now suddenly, Here's this band who has a really charismatic, very intelligent, and very open uh, singer. Uh, and suddenly, when Watain releases a new album, they're on the front cover of our biggest daily newspaper, like New York Times. You know, the same status as New York Times. Okay, so what happens then when people come to a, a Vatain show and they talk about Satanism, someone throws a Hitler salute, um, then people suddenly react very, very, very strongly to 
things that have been going on in this world, in the metal world for a really long time. But so suddenly, it's interesting how the bands try to tread that line. They want to keep being provocative and they want to keep their, you know, um, their true fans. But they also want to cater to a new audience that doesn't necessarily understand or know what they're doing. So I think that's happening uh, more and more. Uh, and I think that's really interesting to see how the different bands um, deal with that. The Swedish metal scene is so wide and so varied. How did you, you like, it must have been so hard before the book was even started to go, how am I, how are we going to cover everything? Like from, yes. from Ghost to Hammerfall to Shining to mm. Vatane and, and to, to Bathory. I mean, there's so many sides to it. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, 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 and what we tried to do, I, I guess, is we wanted to, you know, try to focus on a few phenomenon that right. has brought something new to the scene, you know, right, right. And, 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 and interpreting uh, uh, the, the soul of metal through its different eras. And, you know, the, like uh, the Valkyrie brothers who had the first uh, heavy metal band in the world that actually had a Viking image, you know. I, ever since I was a teenager, I've been wanting to know more about those, those brothers right, and right. What, what they're about. And, and, uh, and you know, that all these different eras, the, the, the transition to trash metal and death metal and so on. And, and I think that... Um, with in in the 80s um there was uh, this big we were a part of this big generation that got exposure to the old school metal and uh, with, with the fading away of punk and the the left wing uh, music movement in sweden and uh, and so on and i think you know we we wanted to focus on everyone who has been pushing like pushing the envelope the, the, the trailblazers mm, is exactly and um, when we wrote the book, um, Ghost wasn't at all the super force that they are today. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if had we written the book today, it would have, of course, closed on Ghost, as you know, you know, beginning the book, the arc of the book begins in heavy load yeah. with, with the Viking brothers and yeah. ending in an American Grammy. That would have been like the most beautiful arc. Of course. So you never know if we do like a revised copy, like somewhere in time, uh, then of course their story would be especially interesting also because since Tobias Folge of Ghost has a really solid death and black metal history. I mean, yeah. they're born from the same extreme world that these other bands are. So, yeah. so that's interesting just in itself. I know I'm not doing this in a in a in a in a proper timeline. I'm just going back and forth okay. from one chapter to the net to the from the first chapter to the last chapter. But I did want to ask you, going back to the chapter on you know kind of right wing bands in metal mm -hmm. or black metal, have you because it came out in 2011 and this reprint happens what 2018? Um, have you gotten any backlash for that chapter? Well, I know some people within the scene that was not at all happy with yeah. this chapter yep. being written, and uh, and I've had some not so pleasant experience, uh, you know, linked to this. But you know, apart from that, uh, no, 
Yeah, because it's it's. I would say that it's one of the chapters that like no one wants to be in, but all the readers appreciate the most because um, it's a subject that hasn't really been covered very often, right. or at least not analyzed in the way that we did. I mean, some of the people within that chapter called up and screamed at us on the phone when mm. you know when they got to read because everyone has been has uh, everyone that's been interviewed in, in the book has. Uh, has um, uh, read everything before publication because that's how we work. So when when some of them found found out how what the subject or what the chapter was going to be like, they really don't didn't want to uh, participate. But then we were just like, well, try to explain yourself instead. Here's the chance, explain yourself. So and and they did. And I think it's a it's a good and interesting chapter that you know that could also be even longer and especially it's seeing the way um, society and the politics how in what way they're going in Europe as a whole and also in Scandinavia we're all leaning towards the right so mm -hmm. we'll, it would be interesting to do a revision of that chapter as well with uh, with more information and more um, new information. And as you know, uh, we have a lot of great, we had so much great uh, metal coverage. We have great metal fans in, in Sweden and yeah. no one has touched on this political no. subject. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that is uh, avoided yeah. uh, at most cost, I think. We only wrote facts, actually. Yeah, it was very, it was just facts and everyone checked their quotes. So... I would say that that chapter on politics was uh, was very well grounded. I will say this about sa uh, Satanism in in uh, in music. My view of Satan changed when I read an interview with Glenn Danzig when I was in high school, mm -hmm. and he said that you know Satan shouldn't be the idea of Satan shouldn't be something that you know um, that that. Um, Satan should be the idea of Satan should be something that attracts you, mm. not something that repels you. And so mm. that really got me thinking at what is the most attractive or what what gathers the most is is pop music. And so I believe Satan would live in that world more than he would live in something that leads with him. It's so obvious. You're almost telegraphing something that he wants to remain in the shadows. And that was another thing Glenn Danzig said is is Satan lives in the shadows. But the, the biggest impact was it, it would be something that attracts you, doesn't repel you. Yeah, yeah. And then you're in his net, and then he can do whatever he wants with you. <laughs> yeah, like a guy who's cutting himself next to me, I'm like, I'm out, I'm going, I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. I, I swear to God, I just like, I can't do it. And yeah. I'm not in the minority. Most people would have this so so having said that you know the the one thing you know that would keep people near him would be you know maybe uh nice snacks oh these are wonderful pastries thank you for baking them and oh wow the song you wrote is so fun to hum thank you satan <laughs> yes you've given us some food for thought <laughs> uh and also you shouldn't take my word very seriously because in reading your book, and if I was to actually, if we were to actually believe what Nikki Anderson calls a poser, I would fall under that category. I am one of those people who loved thrash metal, and it was so funny to read his his definition of a poser because I fell 
I fell completely under that definition. <laughs> uh, so what does that what, what does that word does that word mean anything to you, poser? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's 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 gone under a lot of uh, uh, changes over the years. But when I was growing up, a poser was originally someone who wasn't into Slayer and Metallica, who was more into yeah. Poison and and Cinderella and Bon Jovi, those kinds of glammy bands. Yeah. But 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 let's talk about that. Since we're on this topic, I believe that the the, the poser today yeah. would rather be a kind of uh, a kind of a person who brews his own ale at home, <laughs> and, and he has one metal shirt, and that is a mayhem shirt, and he wears it once every third year when he goes to a gig. Well, and he doesn't want he wants to keep you know he doesn't want to be you know associated with uh, you know old school metal so right uh, he doesn't want to be you know mixed up with someone who used to be a front row banger on on some striper show you know his hey. his roots in his roots in hard rock are not very deep that is what I would say is a poser these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I would agree with that. Um, are there people who, who exist like that? In Sweden, there oh, are. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Quite a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. And I would say that our book has kind of contributed to making wearing a Mayhem or a Vatain shirt kind of hip. Maybe not anymore, but when the book came out, there yeah. was a lot of shirt wearing. A lot of them yep. bought the book, yep. for sure. Yep. Sorry. But, um, <laughs> it, 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 that's interesting. I, I mean, for yeah, I mean, Nikki Anderson uses the word poser in your book uh, in the old, way, old yeah. definition of it. Yeah. And I think, of course, I don't think he would even call someone who he used to call a poser a poser. I mean, these oh, days, oh, I think... Oh, no. No, I think what you thought back then. Back then, yeah. And also, sometimes being poser just kind of meant being female. Oh, really? Yeah, like in the sense that if you were a woman, you couldn't really be interested in the same correct way, which is why um, the inclusion of the the chapter on gender was really important to me. Yeah, because uh, because sometimes you could just you know. People could be anything but just not female and it would be like better. That's interesting. So, I mean, I come from Toronto. I'm from Toronto and, you know, it's the home of, of uh, the metal queen, Lee Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then there's also Darby Mills from the Headpins and Hollywood's from Toronto, the band mm-hmm. Toronto. So I grew up with a lot of female fronted bands, you know, in hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah. I think it's it's basically um, within more extreme like death and black metal that that you it's harder to be a woman. Definitely back in the, also I'm talking about you know Nick Anderson the quote from him was how he thought in the early 90s late 80s, which is which was when I entered the scene through you know the the usual uh, acceleration from hard rock to heavy metal to thrash to death, and um, and being a, I mean today there. Are, loads of women at extreme metal gigs but it wasn't back then right and so you had to fight harder and which also you know the the interviews that i did in that chapter 
testified that you had to know so much more and you had to uh, be, you know, just somewhat harder. And, you know, the, the, the stereotypical idea of a manly female, you know, to, to just um, get by in the circles. Well, you know, I mean, every scene has their is rot with a bunch of douchebags. And I find that people who are going to test other people are pretty insecure themselves. Yeah, yeah, but it was uh, that was the way it was back then. Because I also think that, I mean, the, the circles were so small and and full of people who loved the genre, but they were also kind of protectionistic about it. That you kind of needed to. People were happy um, when someone new entered the fold, but you kind of also needed to be worthy. Hmm. And I don't think that's the same way anymore since the genre is so huge now. Back then, uh, it was so small. And you you tend to forget just how small it was, you know. I mean, I got, I got to know the people in the Gothenburg, you know, in the burgeoning death scene just because, you know, the bu- we had we were on the same bus out to the suburbs, and back then no one was wearing leather jackets except for metalheads, and even most metalheads couldn't get a hold of a leather jacket. So it was so much. I mean, that was before you could buy studded belts at H and M, you know, which you. Been able to do for 20 like for 10 years now so you know they were we were few and um and uh it was easy to spot the few people that were in the scene um now you said that the book came out in 2011 and you needed to do an update and there's no other chapter that needed an update than the entombed chapter absolutely um, yeah, absolutely so Entombed is probably my favorite Swedish metal band, or I would say one of my favorite metal bands, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, I've gotten to know a few of the guys. Um, and so I've also been in the middle of that uh, uh, split in, mm-hmm. in, in some situations where I was actually put in the middle and it was an interesting place to be in. Um Ooh. Tell us so, more. Tell us more. <laughs> so I'm fascinated by the Entomb chapter. Um, and so could you tell us about or tell talk about the uh, the unfolding of that? Was, was, was there an original shortened Entomb chapter in the original pressing? Yeah, absolutely. There was an original chapter uh, that started and, and, uh, and ended with uh, the, the show in, uh, in uh, Örebro that uh, we went to and uh, watched the band and hung out with the band. And, and the funny thing was that when we actually started updating that chapter and doing all these new interviews, and then I, I was like, oh, I, that, that old chapter is totally irrelevant. It's so embarrassing. We have to do something <laughs> entirely new. And I was just, I worked my ass off on that chapter. And I was just, it was, it was really, it was really annoying to having to do that all over again. And then I put in a, a completely new chapter with just new interviews. And Ika said, no, what are you doing, man? You, 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 you just erased the, the whole chapter. I mean, it's all there in the original chapter and then and then I started to go back to the original chapter and read it the, the, reading that uh, all the observations from that mm. day that we spent the with the band were there. and, and, and were you there. were so right about that Ika mm. the, the, the science and the dynamics mm. uh, with the, with the band within the band was all there you know the, the stuff I mean what, what does Alex do and what does LG do you know 
they have different roles and you know it's um, it, it was uh, amazing to see that uh, so many things like the 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 blueprint for the disaster was 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 already there in the in the original uh, in the original uh, chapter i would say you know so i think that the chapter was actually uh, more in in some weird way it, it was it became more relevant after the split after uh, the fact that the, after the emergence of two separate bands with one band name surprisingly enough which is which is by the way not as rare in the rock and roll world <laughs> as you think no 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 i do know that uh, these days there's two of uh, many bands yep um yeah i yeah i uh i mean that chapter was the only one that needed needed a, a major revision because most of the other chapters were uh, historical chapters about bands i mean i mean watain of course and shining but basically what's happened most with those bands is that they've released new records mm -hmm. in the whole um the story that that was in the chapters already were enough, but in in Entombed there had been so huge, diff you know, changes from the original chapters that we needed to um, to revise it completely. But um, we felt that that was the only chapter to uh, that needed that. But we had we had thoughts about adding chapters also, but um, you know, life got got in the got way, in the way yeah. as it does. Sometimes. What what would have those chapters been? I have to say one problem with this book. From uh, if I'm if I'm get to be a bit self-critical mm -hmm. right now, I think you know you know when you imagine if you're a school teacher and you you sit in front of a class and and some 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 uh, kids are nice and some kids are not so nice. What kids do you give the most attention? Yeah. It's the not so nice kids, right? Yeah. And I mean, there's so many groundbreaking musicians, so much much artistry within the Swedish scene that we left that were left out. Mm. I mean, the whole uh, progressive stuff, you know, the gente stuff, Meshaga, you know, mm. all those kinds of mm. symphonic stuff. There's so many. I, I'm sure there's a lot of great stories to be told, you know, uh, uh, around that kind of seen as well you know yeah. and, and and it was i, I feel a bit uh, bad about that sometimes actually yeah I have that, to admit that's, it. that's the only criticism that the book got when it came and also we we had a, a chapter planned on in flames and like the entire um gothenburg melodic death metal scene i mean mm. now they're just only in the history chapter but we wanted yeah. to you know it would be interesting to to position you know in flames making their own beer to um, you know the Stockholm bands or the black metal bands. So, but that was a time issue. We just had to put a stop. We had to get the book out. We've been working on it for so long, and then also, of course, it would have been nice to to have a ghost chapter. We were supposed to do a ghost chapter uh, for the American version, but uh, let's just say that the band weren't cooperative. You know, the inevitable fallout for any of these kinds of projects is you can't please everyone. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. But still, it would have been it would have felt nice to eat, you know, to, to make the book more well-rounded. Yeah. Because as you say, there's a lot of black metal also because black metal is fascinating. You know, it's mm -hmm. not as fascinating to write about a band that kind of feels kind of great and you know, yeah. has commercial success. And yeah. 
you know, makes softer music and just kind of, you know, buys houses and makes beer. No, it's, it's, it's far more interesting to hear about a band recording where they try to uh, uh, make the singer claustrophobic yes. <laughs> and under a couch yeah. or something. I mean, that, that stuff is, that's the stuff that we all talk about when we're, yeah. you know, yeah. talking about music. We don't talk about, yeah, you're right. We don't talk about, hey, did you hear Metallica sold another million copies? <laughs> Right. <laughs> my my wife is still talking about it, you know, yeah. the guy on the couch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I yeah. mean, I I exist. I live in a world where, you know, it's it's definitely uh above ground, um top shelf, but that's not my roots. Um so I mm. do enjoy these stories and I and I was attracted to rock music in the first place because when I was 6 years old, I thought Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons were for real. So that, yeah, yeah so that, <laughs> that attraction is always there. And it's, 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 that's what, you know, attracts me to be a tourist of black metal. I'm, I'm never, I can never call myself a black metal fan, but I will stop at just a tourist. I think that will please both parties, the black metal heads and myself. You know, they don't want me showing up to their, their gigs going hey rock on man <laughs> um so so i think uh it, you know i but i do have a fascination for it like you mentioned i also like the fact that uh you guys did mention like my favorite journalist i've 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 spoken to i have a few like uh like on one hand i can count them um like antonio freitas in lisbon uh barbara seretas in, in milan um, mm -hmm. and, and Hawkan Person at P3 Radio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've been on his show many times. Yeah, he's like my, but he is I my favorite. Him. He is my favorite yeah. out of everyone yeah. I've ever done an interview with. And, and he mm -hmm. knows that because I tell him that every time we've talked. <laughs> Yeah, Hawkins great, and he's been really good to us. Yeah, he's legendary. He used to be my colleague because he he's he, his program that he's been doing for so many years. Yeah. Until recently, was called P P three Rock. Yeah. And I was I was doing the P three Pop program for a few years. Aha. Uh -huh. So I had him as a colleague, and that was pure luxury. Pure luxury. Yeah, he's, he's so great. He's amazing. The first time we yeah. ever toured Europe, and the first time we were ever in Stockholm, we drove into the city. And we were going to P3 Studios to do this interview. You know, we, it's usually what you do when you're touring. We turned on the radio and he was playing our song. And this was my first time driving through Stockholm, listening to mm -hmm. his show and listening to our song. And then when we got to the station, I did two interviews with him that year. And by the second mm -hmm. interview, uh, no, I did three interviews with him that year. The second interview was at Hultsfrid when sure. we played and mm -hmm. uh i remembered him from you know the first tour that we did and i just said to him uh you are amazing like you you've you, you, we had a great interview together and i never forgot him and i think he really appreciated it and ever since then we've always had great talks until like you said is his show was recently canceled yeah um, because they're making uh, huge uh, changes at the national radio so uh, all the specialty shows were uh, were reprogrammed. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening with P3 right now. I think that's really a shame because a show yeah. like his, 
um, uh, whether you like black metal or whether you only like hard rock, it really binds a heavy music community together. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was someone who didn't, at least for me as an outsider, he didn't come off with any airs. A lot of the times people hate the VJ or the DJs or the host of shows, um, not because they're offensive, but just because they they seem like they're trying to be cool. Whereas Mm -hmm. Hawken never had that vibe about him. He was just a guy who knew a lot about music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been around since the punk days, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so he knows so, his stuff, and he's totally, like you said, no airs, just total, uh, yeah, just a really, really cool, nice guy. But, you know, it's it's what's happening in the media right now. I work for Swedish television with, with culture programs, and, you know, all the media outlets... Uh, struggle to uh, to cater to the young audience because the young audience is not interested in linear uh, either listening or uh, watching like no one watches linear tv anymore uh, which means linear is what we at least i don't i don't know if that's the correct word for it but like no one watches when something is broadcast you know everyone just watches or listens to uh, to stuff when they want to so Everyone is um, within oh, the right. national uh, public service radio and TV is just like scrambling to try to understand how to cater to the young audience, right. uh, which means that they make loads of changes, which means that what they're good at is kind of forgotten in the change. Um, and this is happening throughout Sweden. I'm not sure if it's, it's affects in the States in the same way, but seeing that uh, our um, major TV and radio uh, outlets are, are you know the public service owned so you know you have to cater to everyone because otherwise you won't get money from the government to do it so but no but how to cater to an audience that would mostly like to watch YouTube instead of television yeah so yeah so that's those are huge questions right now another and, another thing that's going by the wayside that has everything to do with Swedish metal, and I'm connected to it as well, is Close Up Magazine just released their last issue. Um, yep. And that Close Up Magazine in Sweden is a, is an institution, is a metal institution before Sweden Rock Magazine. Mm-hmm. And some uh, a, a, a magazine I, I've been writing for since 06. Mm. And it happened very quickly, and I had no time to even write a final piece. I, they just printed what I'd handed in like weeks before. Yeah. So. I have to say though, I really appreciated you, you know, enlightening us about the, the origins of the dancing skull on the last <laughs> piece you did for that. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the stuff I care about. If it wasn't for dancing, a big part of my 90s would have sucked metal wise. But so I really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, Michael Golden, the Christ star skull. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met Michael Golden last this. year. I didn't know about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he took a really really semi-obscure limited edition series comic that that was marketed to children and and used the skull. What's sad about Close Up Magazine um is now that I mean, we have Sweden Rock Magazine, but Sweden Rock doesn't touch punk, for example. They don't touch the more extreme subgenres. Yeah. So that kind of music will not have any coverage uh, anymore, paper-wise. But I mean, I I knew that Close Up has been struggling for years. Yeah. But that also has to do with what we were talking about, about who 
um, who buys media. I mean, no young people would buy a paper magazine today. So they don't have, um, their, their readership is getting older. And the older you get, the more kids you have, the more you work, the time is uh, time becomes a huge issue. Uh, I worked for a culture news show and we interviewed uh, Rob Bann, the editor-in-chief, yeah. Yeah. when when they announced that it was closing down. And, and he said that, yeah, I get, you know, when I talk to uh, subscribers, they say like, yeah, I have three unopened magazines on my shelf because I don't have the time to read them. So people stopped subscribing for that. People, you know, the readership is uh, is just becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, which is like at least in Sweden and nationwide, like not only metal uh, literature but like everything. But um, so it was expected, but nonetheless, such a sad thing to happen. And I admire Robban for struggling for so long to keep it running, but also, you know. I stro- I, I'm sad, but did I buy close-up magazine to the end? No, I didn't. So it's kind of hypocritical of me to mourn a magazine I did not help support. And I think that's a, a, a valuable lesson to people who want to support the subculture and, and different scenes that pay up. I didn't, and I'm left with the shame, you know, me and hundreds, thousands of other metal fans that now mourn the magazine they didn't buy. Yeah. Yeah, and and for someone, I mean, I've been on the inside for uh, uh, thirteen. What is it? No, I don't even know how math. What is two thousand nineteen <laughs> minus two thousand and six? That's how long I was <laughs> with close up. Thirteen years. Years. But, yeah. uh, but I know I also used to put out a magazine, so we often talked about you know editor the 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 hardships of publishing magazines in a time where paper. Uh, it's just dwindling down to to nothing. Yeah. What I think is extra sad, though, is that uh, certain other magazines that do exist have a lot more emphasis on nostalgia yep. and old school, you know, mm. the, the golden old days yep. and all mm. these uh, revivals and yeah. stuff. It's uh, and it's not it has not the same edge, you know. No. It has not uh, one foot. Uh, you need to have one foot in the future, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Not one foot in the grave. <laughs> one foot in the grave. <laughs> I, I I agree with that as well, you know. And and like you said about not buying close up, I'm guilty of buying those magazines. Not that that's yeah. a bad thing, but it's it's like <laughs> I'm I'm I I admit I'm attracted to the nostalgic articles, you know that. Yeah that hark on either an artist I love or an artist I want to find out more about. Mm. Um, that has a, the, the thing is that we're at an age where these, these artists or bands have a, a, a big discography that let that, you know, someone who's curious can immediately get taken into and, and yeah. immediately follow the path rather than wait. It's kind of like Netflix shows will give you 10 episodes all at once and like you were saying, linear shows, you have to wait week after week and nobody wants to wait anymore. Yes. So same with bands. Mm. And magazines and everything. I mean, it's, we're, we're being spoiled by the, uh, by the, um, the speed of uh, our contemporary culture. We're yeah. being spoiled to death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but anyways, I mean, I think uh, I wanted to talk to you guys because I genuinely couple of reasons genuinely love the book that's number one i love the swedish metal scene 
I love a lot of aspects about it and I'm always around it. And, and number three, you guys are on Feral House. So, you know, I got to, I got to help my own. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, though, for your very kind words. Yes. That's very, very kind and generous. It, listen, it was nice chatting with you guys about a, a type of music that I'm fascinated and obsessed about. And your book, Fire, uh, Blood, Fire, Death, is amazing. Thank you very Thank you much. So and much. thanks for having us on your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you.